0: So we're in this series called The Real Deal, The Real Deal. And today we're looking at real religion. Is your religion a real religion or is it a fake religion, I wonder? Or perhaps you're looking in at the things of Christianity and you want to know, is this a load of nonsense or is this the real McCoy? I mean, after all, you've come here tonight, maybe you're listening online, it'd be nice to know if we're wasting our time this Sunday evening, wouldn't it? And the way we're going to do this is to, in the lead up to Advent, uh, to be tracking with Jesus uh, from Matthew 15 onwards. And what's been happening with Jesus up until this point? Uh, Well, Jesus, he's told loads of parables. Uh, His cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And even amidst his grief, he shows compassion to others, healing people, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, as one does. And then uh, we read in Matthew 15, verse 1, that the Pharisees and teachers of the law come all the way from Jerusalem to Lake Galilee, 100 miles for a bit of a showdown with Jesus Christ. And things are hotting up, and having traveled all this way, what do they go after with Jesus? We see there in verse 2, it's hand-washing. Now, I hope you've all uh, anti-backed. Uh, but tonight is not about whether cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, but the, the, the religious leaders here, they are concerned with purity. You see, the, the Pharisees, they worried that if you had unclean hands, which touched the food that then you ate, then you became unclean before God. And it's the, it's the theme that we have uh, throughout this passage. How do we get clean with God? And, and this was a tradition of the rabbis. But Jesus replies, he he says in verse 3, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So the first thing that we can learn about fake religion is that it is more concerned about following human tradition than obeying God's word. This hand-washing tradition isn't actually in the Old Testament. but But the Pharisees, they were clearly very concerned that Jesus and his disciples kept this tradition. And what does Jesus say, not once, but twice? He says in verse 3 And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then in verse 6 Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then Jesus, he goes on to give uh, an example of uh, this, where people followed a human tradition, uh, where people gave uh, money as a gift devoted to God, and that meant they weren't able to to look after their aging parents because they didn't have any money uh, left over. So because they followed the human tradition, they failed to obey God's word of the fifth commandment to, to honor your father and your mother. So we have fake religion versus real religion. Notice here that uh, Jesus, he reserves a very special grade of criticism uh, for the religious leaders. But for those of us who'd call ourselves followers of Jesus in the room, this is very concerning, because the question comes, am I? Am I putting human tradition over and above God's word? When we read these accounts of Jesus interacting with people in the Bible, we never place ourselves in the position of the Pharisees, do we? I wonder, do we uh, put our hands up in the air and wave them around like we really do care? And uh, then we go and live in a way that does not honor the word of God, singing songs about spreading the gospel on a Sunday, but then on Monday, it's more like spreading gossip rather than the gospel. Well, I recently led a, a, a church service uh, where we had Holy Communion, and I preached my little heart out on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of the service, uh, someone right in front of me to their friend said, hey, let's go and get drunk sometime soon. Actually, they didn't say drunk. They, they used a different word for drunk. But it wasn't the infilling that I was preaching about. Communion way for Eton. Words read beautifully off the page. Beautifully box ticked. And these rules, they, they give an illusion of purity. But they get in the way of relationship with Jesus Christ. Which is, is what the word of God is, is all about. The religious, the religious spirit hates relationship. Bono uh, of U2 fame, as, as opposed to the other Bono, uh, he, he once said in an interview, I often wonder if religion is the enemy of God. It's almost like religion is what happens when the spirit has left the building. God's spirit moves through us and the world at a pace that can never be constricted by any one religious paradigm. I wonder, do we try to contain, constrict? God to a particular paradigm, to a particular tradition. The key here is asking, what has authority in my life? What has authority in my life? Now, over the the centuries in in different church traditions, including our own traditions, uh, people have tried to explain this by referring to a three legged stool. And you've got the the three different legs Uh, one is scripture. One is reason, so that's your thinking. And then uh, one is tradition. Now, uh, the the thought goes that you need each of the legs to be equal, perfectly equal, in order for you to not fall over if you sit on the stool. But it's a problem. It's a problem, isn't it? If if one of these legs is rotten, or if two of these legs are rotten, if, say, for instance, uh, our thinking is rotten, as sometimes Jesus says that it is, or if our tradition is rotten, as sometimes Jesus says that it is. I want the weight of my life to be sat on something that is able to support me, something that can be secure. Now, John Wesley, he uh, developed the the stool. And uh, someone later put this together, um, but it, it... reflected Wesley's teaching, snappily called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and what Wesley did is he actually added a fourth component, experience, because he claimed that the reality of what God has done for us should be lived out and experienced in our everyday life. But Wesley, he didn't treat these four different things as equals. First and foremost, he said, came the authority of Scripture, If you put it another way, all these different areas, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, they should all be working together to be like an orchestra, like instruments in an orchestra, making a beautiful sound. But scripture needs to be the conductor in this particular orchestra. The the, the danger is, is that we play something else as the conductor, calling all the shots in our life. And the particular danger of tradition including our own tradition, is that our our personal preferences direct our tradition. The pandemic has sent this into overdrive, hasn't it? You know, I'll, I'll have my faith, I'll have my religion, I'll have my church, just how I like it, and just as often as I would like it. Thank you very much. And so instead of being formed and developed by the Word of God, we get formed by the, the diminishing returns of our, our own pride. And all the while, we think we're doing okay. And in our delusion, we, we create a subculture where, where things uh, creep in, ways of doing things. And maybe it's, it's coming to church, coming to Connect Group. We know how to talk the talk, but are we walking with Jesus? Perhaps we're happy to come along and to study the Bible. But are we letting the Bible study our lives? Perhaps it's leaving church and saying, I love the worship, as you will do so tonight. Or what a cracking preach that was. But then we just revert back to normal on a Monday. And that is a tragedy. William Wilberforce, our forebear of this church, in his book on real Christianity as opposed to fake Christianity, He wrote about how this world might be changed if the the way that we lived our lives was predominantly based on the Bible rather than cultural Christianity. I wonder if Wilberforce stepped into this building today, would he recognize real religion, or would he see a religion that mirrors and reflects the culture around it? So Jesus, what he's saying is, is cut the rituals. And get real. Let Jesus be Lord. The way that you do that is, is to let the word of God have authority in your life. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing about fake religion is that it is more concerned with the external show than internal realities. So uh, if you take two examples from the different ends of of the church spectrum, perhaps uh, uh, wearing robes or or raising hands in worship. Now, uh, wearing robes, raising hands in worship, they can both be uh, very good things. Um, But uh, whether it's the person who who always wants me as a vicar type person at the front of church to always uh, wear robes, robes that are so ancient they were first worn in the 1970s, uh, but the way they speak to their fellow Christian is off and it's rude. Or or whether it's the person who comes and raises their hands in worship, but then is having casual romantic relationships with no concern for the other people's feelings, no concern about what God might have to say about it too. The question comes, am I more concerned with, with external show or with internal realities? The danger becomes is that our faith is fraudulent because we're concerned with looking good on the outside when what we know on the inside is, is very different. I shudder to think of the times when I've shot off a text to someone who's going through a, a, a tough time and I've, I've said, praying... Or even worse, <laughs> I mean, a fat lot of good an emoji is going to do you, unless I'm actually praying for you. Maybe for, for us, the danger is a transient London life. Uh, perhaps for us, it's having a very wide network of polite Christian friends, a wide circle of friends, a very, very wide circle, but only about an inch shallow. We never let people see what is really going on with us. Perhaps we're never brave enough to come forward for prayer. Always got to keep the show on the road. The show must go on. And what does Jesus say in verse 7 to the religious leaders? You hypocrites, you hypocrites, you fakes. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What's really worrying about what Jesus says here is that you and I, we can actually worship God in vain. Again, back to the, 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 the merely human rules. Rules over relationship, tradition over the word of God. Are we worshiping God in vain? I wonder. How many times does God say in the Bible, I've had enough of your endless singing, I've had enough of your worship services? The other worrying thing from, from this little section is verse 8, the question that comes as our hearts being far from God. Even amidst coming to church, services, or serving our socks off. We can forget Jesus Christ. It's interesting that in verse 11 and verse 18, Jesus, he talks about what comes out of our mouths, defiling us, because what he's describing there is it's actually ultimately about what comes out of our hearts. And we see all kinds of things in verse 19, evil, evil thoughts. But here in verse 8, Jesus says, they honor me with their lips. And then he says in verse 9, they worship me in vain. So it's not just saying wrong things. You can actually be saying all the right things. You can be doing all the right things and still be far from God. Because there's this defilement. There's this uncleanness. And instinctively, we know this to be true, don't we? Writing... Um, about the start of term for kids at school. The food critic, Giles Coren recently wrote this in The Times. He wrote, I want a chance to put behind me all the stupid things I said and did over the last 12 months and start again with a clean record. If I failed last year, then this year I can try to do better, be better, be different, and I want that chance every year. Don't you? Don't we deserve that? So why do only kids get it? And he ends the article with this. Just give me a clean slate once more, and I swear I will get it right this time. So how do we get that clean slate? Because it's not just the things that we say. It's not just the things we do, is it? Jesus shows us that those things are just the tip of the iceberg. It runs much, much deeper than that. It runs to our thought life, and it runs all the way to our hearts. Writing in the, in the Sunday Times magazine recently, Dolly Alderton, sage to, to young women everywhere, she wrote this about how to deal with getting over a breakup. Here's my tip. Every night before I go to sleep, I close my eyes and pray, never being sure who to, the universe, a higher power, Aretha Franklin, whoever, for the people that I love. And then I think of the people who have caused me upset and I pray for them too. I send good wishes to old enemies. Or take Chris Martin of Coldplay recently uh, chatting with Rob Bryden in a podcast. He said, I mean, I think most humans I know our head fills with a lot of nonsense. It feels like every human is slightly at war with themselves, but there's a voice in most of us that says, you're a real so-and-so. <laughs> I do a thing. That I know a lot of authors do this. Where you write for for 12 minutes everything that's on your mind and then burn it or flush it away. I think particularly in Britain, we weren't really told how to safely get rid of those things that have been pestering you all day. Or the meanness or the rage of them or the fear, whatever it might be, that thing. I think personally uh, at HCC, our, our health and safety officer may be concerned if I tried to burn away all my sins. But just as Chris Martin says, for for, for many people, the way they process this stuff is to go to Twitter. Just like we see in verse 12, the disciples, they're saying to Jesus, can't you see the Pharisees are offended? That's true today, isn't it? Everyone's offended. Everyone's offended today. Not only is it not particularly mature, but being offended is a surefire way to, to harden and harden and harden your heart. But, but Chris Martin, he's right, of course. He's, he's right that there's so much within us that shouldn't be there. Whether it's the fear, the worry, the, or the meanness or the rage. And we see all that stuff. It spills out onto Twitter. It spills out onto the roads. And even as it spills out of our lives, at the very same time, it has its way of working its way deep, deep, deep. Into our bones. What does Jesus say in verse nineteen? Our, our thoughts are like murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. We've all had rotten thoughts, and these things defile us. And the truth is, is that none of us have got this sorted. You and I, we are just like Giles Coran. We are just like Dolly Alderton. We are just like Chris Martin. And we're all looking for a way to purge ourselves, to cleanse ourselves. There's a load of junk. We all need a way to deal with it. Now, burn it, flush it away, pray to Aretha Franklin, send people good wishes in your dreams. But those things will not pay the price of your sin and my sin. Those things will not see the power of those things broken in our lives and will not give us the freedom and the riches of the abundance that Rima spoke about earlier in our service. You and I, we have a problem. We have a problem that needs a radical solution. So beware. Beware of fake religion too. You know, external solutions to internal problems. If I can mention Bono again and his alter ego, Mr. McFisto, who looks remarkably like the devil. He said this once at a gig. Some of my best friends are religious leaders. They're doing my job for me, aren't they? They're putting the children off guard. And so Jesus says about the religious teachers in verse 14, leave them, leave them. They're like blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. It's the problem with fake religion is that fake religion is, is not only a waste of time, it's something much, much worse than that. You end up falling into a pit. And so Jesus, therefore, he is ruthless with leaders who have an external, an external appearance of, of holiness and of godliness, but they never point to an internal reality. The, the, the real problem, the deeper problem, the problem of our hearts, and the problem of the sin that gets in there, the sin that we need saving from. And so, so preachers who never go anywhere near sin, they therefore don't give people a root out of the pit that they find themselves in. Jesus says, leave them. Steer clear, fake religion. So, what's real religion? Well, real religion is the reverse of fake religion. It's asking Am I putting God's word above human tradition? Am I putting God's word above human tradition? And secondly, am I putting internal realities above external show? And that's why, that's why in verse 10, Jesus, uh, he calls the crowd to him and he says, listen, listen and understand. And he goes on to to speak about our hearts. It's what comes out of our our hearts. It's too big for any human response to fix. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can fill your diary You can fill your week with with Christianity at HTC if that's what you really want. Got lots on, lots to do, lots of different ways in which you can serve. You can fill your week, but it will be useless to you unless you fill your heart with Jesus Christ, unless you open yourself up and empty yourself of the sin and receive Jesus' forgiveness for you. You receive Jesus' presence in your life by his Holy Spirit. Be filled with his power. But only you can do this. William Wilberforce, in that same book on real religion, he, he, he wrote about how it really makes no sense at all to call yourself a Christian if you happen to uh, forget Jesus, if you don't cling to Jesus. The danger with religion is whatever particular religion, garden variety we go for, is that that we treat it a bit like a good luck charm. And Jesus, he is not a good luck charm. He is the Lord. And you and I, we have the choice to to let Jesus be Lord in our lives, to have authority in our lives. Wilberforce wrote about how God, he, he wants to write his name on our hearts, on your heart and my heart, so powerfully that it creates within us a profound experience of his peace and of his freedom and a heart that is filled with wonder and awe and worship. And so Jesus, he, he turns to the crowd and he turns to you and me. And he says, listen and understand. I want you to get this. This is not a trick. You can trust me. I am not a blind guide. I know where I am taking you. I have been through death. I can get you through death and into resurrection life beginning tonight. Because I've paid the price for all your uncleanness, all the secret sins, all the 2 a.m. thoughts, all the things you'd be too ashamed to ever admit Jesus says, I have lived the perfect life, the undefiled life for you. I have entered that pit for you. I have paid the price for your sins on the cross. And you can know fullness of life, free from all those things that eat away from you. I have turned to you. Will you turn to me? Will you turn away from the junk the sin, the fakery, the smoke and mirrors? And will you turn to me?